We're glad you're joining us today. Wherever you are, we're glad you're a part of what God is doing. We're going to look today at a familiar story from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. It's a story of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. And this story teaches us one of the deepest, one of the core realities of the Christian faith, the power of knowing Jesus, what we call the gospel or the good news. And it's a core belief for us here at Stowe Presbyterian Church. We believe the gospel is more than just a bus ticket or a simple set of doctrine or belief that gets you to heaven. We believe the gospel is something that's encompassing, and it's an essential part of what drives us as a church. We believe that Jesus Christ, he changes all of us from our head to our toes, inside and out. Every bit of us is transformed by the power of the gospel. And now more than ever, we want to understand the power of the gospel, of the good news, the greatness of God, and what it means that Jesus Christ comes in to transform, to change our lives. We want to understand that because of what is happening in the world in the midst of this pandemic that is sweeping the globe. For some of us, this coronavirus, says, or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, it may seem like no big deal. Perhaps some of you are wondering, why is everybody so upset? But for others, for those that have bad health, who have concerns that this virus is identified as attacking, you might be afraid, you might even be terrified. Wherever you are this morning, as the world is in flux, as you're wondering what to do next, as you're wondering what is coming around the corner, I want us to remember the reality that the gospel is always at work, that God is always at work in our lives, even when we can't see or can't understand it. Right now, if you're like me, you might be wondering what is yet to come. I don't like knowing, not knowing what's coming around the corner. I don't like that at all. And yet God is putting us in this place where we have to trust in him and the power of the gospel. I like having things figured out in my life. I like having my priorities figured out, my bank account, my schedule, knowing what I'm going to do, what I have, and where I'm going to go. And right now, as we found out in the last week, something we don't even see or yet comprehend, something microscopic has changed the entire way that we live and operate. This is one of those defining moments in human history. Maybe you've had some of these in your life if you're older. Perhaps for you, this is the first moment like this you've ever lived through. But for all of us, we feel out of control right now. We feel like we're not sure what is yet to come. And yet the gospel, this message that Jesus came to provide for us, this message reminds us the essential part of our faith is that God has a new life for us. He has a transformed life for us here, today, in the now, not just from what is yet to come in heaven. So we're going to explore this powerful story of the gospel from John chapter 4. And we're going to look at some of the highlights. It's a long passage of scripture. We're going to look at some of the main points. And then we're going to dig into this a little more because we all want to know, how can my life be changed? Even in the midst of the uncertainty and the difficulty, how can my life be made different, like this woman at the well as she encounters Jesus. So we're going to look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 6. So Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into the food, into the town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, You don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? 
You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give, this person will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I do not have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I do not have a husband. For you have five husbands, Jesus said, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What a powerful passage from God's word. And there's a verse in this passage that may jump out at you as we start today. John 4, 13, where Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. And this week, it might make a little more sense to you than it did perhaps in the weeks before. Because people were making a run on all kinds of things, and particularly bottled water. Because let's face it, water is essential to our bodies for life. We're made up of a lot of water. It's something that comprises, depending on who you ask, 50 to 70 or more percent of our body is water. I'm not sure what this says about the people that were clamoring for toilet paper, but water we know is something we need to live. And Jesus is saying in a deeper sense that the gospel is like that. Who he is and what he came to do as the Messiah, it's essential to our life. It's essential to all of us and who we are. It changes us. So the first thing we need to understand today is the life-changing power of the gospel. It's meant for everyone. Jesus comes and shares that with this woman at the well. The gospel is meant not just for you or me or for a certain kind of people. It's meant for everyone. Now, if we understand the history of this culture, the culture where Jesus finds himself, it was a patriarchal culture where men did not speak to women in public unless they knew them or had a particular relationship with them. It just didn't happen. Plus, this woman that Jesus comes to speak to, she's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, they would have no reason to speak to each other. There was an ethnic and a racial component where Jews and Samaritans, they didn't just dislike each other. They outright hated one another. Jews and Samaritans, particularly the Jews, though, would travel up to three or four days around Samaria if they want to get from one part of Israel to another with Samaria in the middle. They would go all the way around because they didn't want their feet to even touch the soil of Samaria. That's far more than dislike. It's far worse than Browns fans and Steelers fans or whatever you might think of as people disliking one another in the world. 
And next, we know this woman, there were some more things that divided her that tell us the Gospels for everyone. First of all, she comes out at, at the sixth hour at noon to draw water, and that's very strange in that culture. If you've ever been to another part of the world and you've seen people come to a well to draw water, they come early in the morning, as early as they can get out there. First of all, it's cooler at that part of the day in a dry and arid climate like that where it's very hot. It's cooler in that part of the day. They'd come out together and the women would often be there around the same times and that would be a time when they would talk with one another and visit. And they'd come early to get the water because they'd take that back home and use it because they had a lot of things they wanted to do that day in their lives. And they needed that water to get it done and there, was no, there were only so many hours in the day so they would come out and get that water. And yet this woman comes alone as we see at noon. So we understand from this passage later on, of course, that this woman is an outcast. Essentially, she's an outcast in every way because we learn in her interactions with Jesus. She is also socially and morally an outcast because of how she lives, the choices she's made. The way she lives is completely unacceptable in this culture to have so many husbands and yet be living with another man that was not even her husband. She must feel completely alone and isolated. And I think a lot of people are worried about that, even with what's going on in our world today, this sense of isolation and being apart. Think of just with the way your life has changed, just a little, how isolated this woman must have felt. This was her entire life. Every day was like this. But yet, look what Jesus does in this passage. He moves with purpose right past every one of these barriers and walks right into Samaria, right up to the well and begins speaking to this woman. He makes a conscious decision in all of these things to engage her in conversation. And he talks to her with purpose about her entire life. Jesus in this moment, he is the perfect embodiment of the gospel. What he is saying and doing here is what the gospel is all about. Look at verse 10 and what he says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God. Now, what does he mean by that? If Jesus' life-changing power, the gospel power, is something you just got, if it's something you worked hard and figured out, if it's something that we toughed it out and worked hard and then somehow acquired for ourselves, we gritted our teeth and finally we won the prize. If that were true, that gospel, that hope of heaven, that hope of New life now, not just eternal life to come, would actually favor the stronger people, the harder working people, the more disciplined people, people that had the wherewithal or gumption or whatever word comes into your mind to make it happen. Those were the people that would actually have an advantage to gain the gospel. If you had great discipline, talent, education, poise, strength, whatever it is. Yet in Jesus' time, that would mean that women would have a disadvantage over men and that certain people in certain cultures would not just be at a disadvantage, they would be completely devoid of the gospel. And yet Jesus comes and shows us something different. He shows us that this grace of God, this love that we cannot deserve, the gospel, it's a gift that anyone can receive. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you're not from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, what color you are. None of that matters. It doesn't matter how you've grown up, who your parents were, what your job is. 
The gospel has the power and the ability, and it's a gift for you. It has that ability to transform and to change your life, to give you new life. Now this woman, she's shocked as Jesus not only comes and speaks with her, but shows her love and grace. He shows her that he cares. She must be questioning her whole reality here. She says, you're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And look, I don't have a good reputation. You should figure that out by the fact that I'm here all alone. And yet Jesus is demonstrating here in his life the gospel is for everyone. It goes out to all people, regardless of anything else. In fact, since grace is a gift, all the people that have climbed whatever ladder or worked extra hard or whatever it might be, they may actually struggle at times to receive the gospel. Why is that? Why is that? Why would such people be less likely to receive God's grace? Well, on one hand, when you're someone that maybe has that little extra in the tank to get it done, you may think to yourself, look what I can do. Look at how strong I am or how capable I am or how smart I am or whatever it is. You may think to yourself, even when life is difficult, I'm just fine. I'm not really worried. I've got it all together. But look here what Jesus says. He doesn't privilege such people that think that they've got it farther up the ladder because what can get in our way of seeing God's grace, that love of the gospel that Jesus is carrying out in his life and giving to this woman, we might have so much pride we think, I don't need to worry about any of that. God wants us to understand that none of us deserve God's grace. In fact, those of us who feel the least deserving, the least capable, the least together, like this woman must have felt, that's who Jesus comes to share the hope of heaven with. So now that we understand that the gospel itself, it's a gift of God's grace, it's something we just receive, we must learn a little more about it. You see, that grace, that gift that Jesus embodies, the good news of the gospel, receiving it is a gradual process. And just as Jesus is with this woman, he is with us. And what is Jesus doing with this woman? He is so patient with her. He takes time with her. Look at verse 15. When she says, give me this living water, she said, I want to know this. Jesus doesn't stop right there. We'll come back to that in a minute, the living water part, but he begins to speak with her. He begins to talk with her. He asks her about her life. He shows interest. He says, hey, where's your husband? Where is he? Now, in a world where a woman can only be, be married one time to a man unless she was a widow, for her to give the answer, that she gives about how many liaisons she's had, how many husbands she's had. In fact, that she's living with someone that is not her husband would be unthinkable in that culture. It just wouldn't happen. So she stops and she talks to Jesus, but yet when he wants to get real, she tries to change the subject. She says, oh, I see you're a prophet. She knows Jesus is not from her small town, yet he knows all these things about her. So she tries to change the subject, and she picks something very controversial. She wants to move on quickly to something else. So when you want to shift the focus off your personal life, one of the fastest ways to do it is to talk about politics or religion. And she doubles down. She talks about both of them. 
She talks about a theological controversy and a social or political controversy where the Jews worship versus where the Samaritans worship. And as she shifts back and forth, as she struggles and tries to throw Jesus off of her trail, so he won't ask anymore or talk anymore to her about her life. Jesus, he says, no, you don't understand. I've come to change everything you know about your life. And look here how patient Jesus is with her. Even when we deflect or pull out our, our best uh, ways to throw Jesus off, to throw God off, we say, Jesus, what about this? God, what about that? He draws us back and he says, no, I love you. And I have a plan for you to change your life. Jesus is so patient. That's grace. That's love. God's grace, God's love, that gospel that changes us. God is patient with us, but yet he's still at work. My mom had a plant, and now it's my plant. It's actually older than I am. And so we call it in our house the granny plant. It's uh, this plant in our kitchen, and I've almost killed it a few times. I'll be honest with you, I've been very nervous at times about it because it wasn't just my mom's plant, it was my grandmother's plant. And yet I've tried to water it and work with it and Mandy, my wife, has as well and we struggled. And then my in-laws came and visited and they have very green thumbs, unlike mine. And they helped us to nurse it back to the place where it actually was green again and growing again. And I was so appreciative that they did that because I didn't have the patience I needed to figure out how to make this, hand, this plant grow and be healthy. I struggled with it. I really did. My mom had the skills to, to make that happen, the patience to make it happen. And my in-laws, they've done the same thing. They had the patience and even to help explain to us what we needed to do. And there's something important here. The difference between growing a plant or a tree that grows and something mechanical, something instant or automatic like we would know in our world today. Think about if you want to build a building. You can have workers show up and you can have trucks and supplies brought in and a bunch of bricks and if you want the building to be built faster to a certain extent like they do on those extreme home shows, you can just bring in more workers and you can build it even faster. But that's not how a plant grows or how a tree grows. You can only do so much to speed up the process. It's organic, it's a messy process. The process of God's grace gradually occurring, the gospel washing over us and changing us over time. God is completely involved in that process as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he is patient with us. He's active with us. He's engaging us as Jesus does embodying the gospel with this woman every step of the way. So now we've learned the gospel, that gift of God's grace, is, it's, it's for everyone. It's powerful, it's with us, it's a gradual and continual process. But it's also a powerful process. Let's talk about that. Jesus promises us here that he will provide living water. Right now people are worried about having any water because it's essential for life. We can't last very long without water. We can go far longer without food than water. If you've been really thirsty, you know how good water can taste. Maybe you were outside working or you were an athlete at one point or you are now and you exercise, you go for a run and you come in and man, that water feels good. But I doubt that any of us know what it's like to really go without water as people do in some parts of the world. 
Imagine you've been stranded somewhere and you've been without water, it's been very hot, and someone comes and rescues you and the first thing they do is give you water. Now, if you take that water, if you drink that water, it's gonna taste beyond belief. And you're gonna want to quench all your thirst and you're gonna crave it. That water will taste, it'll seem like the greatest thing ever. And I guarantee you, you're not going to just take one taste, one little sip of water at that point and say, man, that was great. That hit the spot and then move on. No, you're going to want as much of that water as you can take in because it's essential. It's what you need. It's what's saving you. It's what's nourishing you. The living water Jesus is talking about is not physical water. Of course, it's spiritual. This is something that Jesus is providing. He's saying, I have something that will satisfy the deepest cravings of your soul deep down inside of you. Just as that water physically can satisfy you, this water will satisfy you spiritually in ways that you cannot imagine. What is that living water? It's the grace of God, that gift given to us, the love and forgiveness, the presence of God's Spirit, God's continual love that he is with us through all these things we encounter in life, even the things we're encountering right now. God doesn't have a sense of being superior to us. He comes to us. He crosses over all these boundaries. Even when we feel like we don't deserve it, like this woman, this woman felt, God comes to her and he says, I love you. I'm here with you. And I have something that can quench the deepest desires of your soul. No matter how hard we can work in life. I've worked really hard to lose some weight and get in shape. And I've disciplined myself. And no matter how hard I've worked in my life. You see, the laws of hard work, they can change me. But yet I still hunger and thirst. When I'm out somewhere and everybody's eating good stuff. And I'm eating some like kale and dirt salad of some kind. It's hard. It's difficult. I would much rather have a big pile of chicken wings or a triple cheeseburger or whatever else it is. When everyone has ribs or lots of cheese, I, I sit there and think to myself, man, I would love to have that. I really would. But you see, that's not how God's grace works. That's a law. That's a rule. That's something I practice. It's hard work. And God says, no, my grace is different than that. He says it's something more than that, that feeling of thirst that is satisfied by that sweet taste of water. And I want that water. I don't, I don't want the other things. I only want the water. I only want the good stuff. You see, when God's grace comes in, that gift, when it comes to us, as God patiently leads us and changes us, he nourishes us in our soul gradually into this powerful relationship. We receive this spiritual transformation, this living water. And when that happens, the deepest longings in our lives are satisfied. The things we used to hunger for, we don't quite hunger for them the same way. It's more than gritting our teeth or working hard. It's more than that prideful stuff we try to do. It's something different. That gospel, it goes all the way down in the depths of our heart and our soul and it changes us. Now let's talk a little bit about this idea of change. What is it and how do we experience it? You see, the world offers us two different ideas of change. There's a traditional and there's a modern understanding of change. First, a traditional one is the one that many of us are familiar with. If I work really hard, if I grit my teeth, if I try, if I just discipline myself, if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm going to get it done. 
no matter what, I can put my nose at the grindstone and I can make it happen. I can change my life. There are literally rows and rows of books that talk about this. But there's also this newer idea that you hear, the current idea in our world today of change. And that, world says, that idea in the world says this, change is when we work to discern what our truest self and what our deepest, truest feelings, what we feel. We want to make those come out and come to life. And when that happens, we, we change and we're our truest and, and fullest self. And that is going to be the thing that makes us the happiest in our lives. I don't believe the gospel is about either of those things. That's not the kind of change that Jesus is talking about, that this passage is telling us about today. Why? Because one of those is all about your willpower. And let's face it, willpower it always gives out. No matter how committed you are, you're going to falter. And the other side, that modern understanding is all about your emotions. Neither one, neither of you changes both. One changes one, one changes the other. But yet the change that God offers encompasses all of us more than our will and more than our emotions. Think of the woman in the passage her emotions are what got her into trouble in the first place. And willpower, she didn't have that, yet Jesus is coming to her. And when she asked Jesus about the living water, he says, go get your husband. And that can feel kind of abrupt in this story. But yet Jesus wants to change something in her. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right, you actually have five husbands, and the person you're with now is not even your husband. Jesus is telling her, that as she's trying to find this living water, she's trying to find the thing that will satisfy the depths of her soul. And she's searching anywhere and everywhere, kind of like people running from store to store this week looking for water or toilet paper or whatever it is. And I'm not belittling you. Obviously, you should be prepared. That's not what we're talking about here. Yet in this passage, this woman, as she's struggling, she's afraid as well. She wants to have her physical needs satisfied. She wants to make sure it's all taken care of. Yet Jesus here, he's saying to her, you want to find your deepest satisfaction in all these things around you. In her case, it was in relationships with men. For us, it might be something different. It's money. It's power. It might be romance. The idea that someone is just waiting for you. It might be and your success or the success of your children or your, your grandchildren, your accomplishment, whatever people think about you. It might be pleasure. It might be sex. It might be all kinds of things. But believe me, what Jesus is telling her and what he's telling us is whatever you're seeking to find that fulfillment in, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to last. No matter how many men this woman God, no matter how much money someone gets or, or power or, or whatever it is, no matter how safe you may feel, all those things in life as we're learning are temporary things. They can all change in just a moment. If you find your satisfaction in those things, you'll always be thirsty. And worse yet, they will take from you. They won't be patient. They won't be loving. They won't be merciful. They'll enslave you. How? They'll make you earn it. They'll make you want more. And no matter how many wells you try to dig, dig in your life, no matter how deeply you dig into 
whatever that thing is for you, it's never going to satisfy you. Deep down, you're still going to be thirsty. Maybe you're someone struggling with one of these things. Maybe you think these things are going to provide for you. I don't know. If you have that old-fashioned view of change, you're going to say, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to root that thing out of my life. If you have that modern understanding, you may say to yourself, you know what, I just feel and I feel like this is okay. It's just going to really satisfy me. But no matter how much you feel it or how much you get of it, it doesn't satisfy. And you end up desperate and thirsty. And you say to yourself, much as this woman was struggling down deep in her heart, how do I change? How do I really change who I am? How do I really change my heart so that I find satisfaction in something else? Listen, she's desperate. Jesus says, I have this living water. And she says, give it to me. She's ashamed. She wants to have that water so she doesn't have to come back to that well. And Jesus says, it only happens in me. Even in verses 21 and 22, where they start talking about a temple in Jerusalem versus the one in Samaria, he says, an hour is coming when it's going to change. He says, yeah, right now you should be worshiping in Jerusalem. That is the true place. And actually what's going on there is there's sacrifices in that temple. There's lots of things going on. And he says, I will be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He says, I'll be the priest that's going to end the need for any priest. You're not going to have to worry about that anymore. He says he's going to do something remarkable. And where does Jesus do that? He does it on the cross. He does it where Jesus, he offers those words we may remember as he goes to the cross, as he faces to pay the price for our sin and death. He faces all the wrath of a holy God and he says two words. He says, I thirst. How can Jesus give this woman all that she longs for and all that she desires, all that she's searching for, it's because he says, I thirst. He pays the price for our sin. And at that moment, God, he put all of that sin and shame on Jesus. The cosmic thirst, the deepest thirst of all of humanity for all times was laid on Jesus. This illuminates so much of God's word for us. It teaches us so much of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing in this time. If you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, if you've not given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you as we finish up with just a few more ideas today to think about what it would mean to turn over whatever that is in your life that you think is going to satisfy and finding that satisfaction in Jesus. You're not going to work harder and get it together. You're not going to find fulfillment in expressing all your feelings and all your ideas. Your feelings can mislead you. You can work your hardest. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are. There's a story I read once by Dr. Tim Keller, and he was talking about this idea of God's grace, and it's about a man named Landon Gilkey. And he wrote a book about his experiences called Shantung Compound. It's about a prison camp in World War II, where as the Chinese were swept up as the Japanese invaded. All the Westerners in that part of the world, scientists and doctors and missionaries and whomever, they were taken and placed in this compound, this prison camp that was about a city block wide. And this man, he was not a Christian in any way. He was an atheist. And as he's there, he found that the people there, the missionaries and priests and whomever was put there along with the businessmen and the scientists and the professors, 
They were so desperate, they began to fight. They began to steal and lie and hurt each other. And yet he found faith. He found faith in Jesus Christ while there because of one man, a man named Eric Little. Now, if you recognize that name, Eric Little won a gold medal in the Olympics. They made the movie Chariots of Fire, and of course the book is based on the true story of his life. And yet, as others made it worse, and as they weren't living for their faith, as they weren't trusting, as they weren't satisfied, Eric Little, he set a different tone. He took all the kids and the teens in the camp, and he ran activities for them. He loved them. He cared for them. He provided for them because it was such a desperate, a desperate time, a desperate place. He took care of them, and he lived out his faith even when things seemed impossible because he was finding a satisfaction in that deep down living water. Against that terrible backdrop, he stood out because he lived differently. And he actually passed away in that compound just before it was liberated in the war. Why was he different? Gilkey in his book says this. It wasn't because of his religion. Religion is not the place where the problem of man's egotism is automatically solved Rather, it is there that the ultimate battle between human pride and God's grace takes place. Human pride may win the battle. And then religion can, can and does become one instrument of human sin. You see, religion doesn't save us. It can just become a way that we live into our pride where we say, I can get stronger. I can get it together. Now look at you versus me. But that's not what Jesus does with this woman. Gilkey also said this, But if in that moment the self does meet God in his grace and so surrenders to something beyond its self-interest, then the Christian faith can prove to be what is needed. Release from human self-concern. Friends, this is the gospel and what it means for us to be those who bear the gospel. Now, more than ever, we need to be the people that cross the boundaries and love and care and minister to others who are patient with them, who love them, who trust in the Lord to provide for us, who offer living water, who even offer physical water, whatever these next weeks hold for us. God is indeed with us, and we need to be those people that bear the truth of the gospel. Let other people know and how you live and how you trust and how you care for them that your life is beyond these temporary things. Cross those boundaries. Yes, be careful. We're not saying to not be careful, but you need to love people. Reach out to your neighbors. Even if you're just calling them on the phone, reach out to them. Now is our time as the church of Jesus Christ to find someone who in this moment where everything seems so upside down, maybe wondering, could God ever forgive me? Can I find satisfaction? I'm going to be looking around me for all this satisfaction. My world's upside down. I'm desperate to find something that satisfies my deepest longings, my fear, my frustrations. Friends, this is the time when we need to be sharing the gospel, the good news, to let other people know what it means to taste that living water. Let's pray. Friends, I pray that you would join me 
and loving and serving the world around you. And God, I pray that you would remind us in every moment that your spirit would speak to us, that we would know what it means to share our faith, to trust in you, to cross those boundaries, to care for people, to be patient, to embody the gospel just as Jesus did to this woman, that we would love and care for our friends and our neighbors, that we would trust in you beyond our circumstances. God, bless everyone. Watch over them. Guide them. Lord, guide those that are caring for those who are sick, who are desperate, who are afraid. God, make this our finest moment that we can shine brightly in the darkness to share the hope and grace of the gospel, that we would not have any sense of fear or superiority, but we would know that you are the one who is superior, that is over and above all these things, all these things around us, yet you came to love and to serve and to be with us in relationship. God, help us to remember that as we deal with others this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.